we do want to say thank you to the fathers and happy Father's Day. Uh, and just for a moment, I, I, man, I know I, I'm, a, I'm a young father. I, I have only been a father for four years. Um, but I know that there is a desperate need for prayer as a father. Uh, and so what I would love to do is if you are a father in this place, I, I would love for you just to stand for a moment. I, I do just want to pray over you. And man, as, as your husbands and dads stand, would you with me collectively, let's just pray for these guys. There is such a huge task at hand uh, to lead our families well, and it is hard, and it is a burden, and it is something that the Lord has entrusted to us uh, that he has gifted us for, and, and that's a lot of what we're going to speak on today. But I, let me just pray for you guys, um, for the, 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 the job is weighty, and so let me just lift you up. God, I do thank you for the fathers that stand in this room, and God, you have called us to a, a very high calling to be the spiritual head of our household and Lord, that, that is a, a huge task that we are unable to accomplish on our own. And so God, I pray that this morning even that you would stir us up through the gospel message to be men and women who long to be disciplined in who we are in you. And so God, I pray for these dads. I pray that as they provide shelter and they provide provision for their families, God, that they would not forget that the ultimate goal, the ultimate calling is to provide spiritual sustenance for their wives and their children. And so, God, would they fix their gaze on you? Would you be all that motivates their heart and moves their hearts this morning? I thank you for these dads. I know that just as probably as I, they are struggling well through this, God. There are days of great joy and success, and there are days of great failure. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can just rest in your grace. Lord, help us to be agents of reconciliation in our families. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you guys for standing. You know, I just think, too, if you were here, uh, I believe last week, Caleb was sharing as we were talking about praying through grief. And, um, man, I, I just couldn't help but think as I was preparing for this Sunday, for some of you, Father's Day is just extremely hard whether that's because you've had loss or because maybe there's broken relationships with, between you and your father or your children. And so maybe this is just a really tough day for you. Uh, and, I, and I would love just to take just a minute to pray for you as well. And I know that, that that's a tough thing to stand up and say, yes, Father's Day is hard for me. Um, but is there anybody this morning that would just say, yes, that's me. Would, would we as a church, would you pray for me in this moment? For this Father's Day. Is there anybody that would desire to have some prayer this morning for that? Stand up. I see some hands. Let's stand up. Is that okay? Can you be brave enough to stand? Definitely. We want to see. Yeah, I think it's all over the place probably. It's more than just one or two. Yeah, let me pray for you guys. Um, Lord, times like this can be so incredibly tough um, when, when things aren't right and things aren't happy and peaceful and um, God, and maybe there's extreme loss that has happened, and this just reminds us of that yearly. And, and so, God, we don't want to forget as the church those people who desperately need your grace and your mercy and your peace in times like this. And so, God, I pray for these that were brave enough to stand. I pray for those that maybe didn't want to stand, God, that, that in this day um, that, that you would be more real than ever, that your, your, your mercies and your grace would be new this morning. So, God, would you bring an immense amount of comfort to those who would say, this is just a really hard day. And we thank you that in the midst of our strife, in the midst of hard times, in the midst of disaster, God, you are still faithful. You are still our foundation. And so that we can rest and trust in you. So bring peace to these that have stood this morning. And it's your name I pray. Amen.
thank you for standing and doing that. I appreciate it. Um, I do, real quick, as we, as we move, I do want to introduce you to my family. One, I'm new to the church a little bit. And two, I just had a son, a third or second son. And so I just want to introduce to you Micah, which is on the left, Hannah, and then my poor son whose head is almost falling off his body, <laughs> Judah. Um, and so that is my beautiful family. And man, being a father is extremely tough. So Hannah's four years old, so I, I, am, I am very new at this, but... Um, and, and I find for me specifically in the ministry, for whatever reason, like I find it easy for me to spend time investing in others and, and lifting up and building others up in the Lord. But there's something in me that when I go home, it's so incredibly hard. Like I've poured myself out for the day and there's just something in me that says, man, it's so much easier to sit on the couch and hang out and let them run around and be crazy and call it a night and go to sleep and repeat. And, and so this is not something that I have figured out. Uh, by any means, but it is something that I know the Lord has called us, called me to, so that I am walking with you as we struggle well. And I'm not always necessarily an advocate for, hey, it's Father's Day, so let's have a big Father's Day sermon. Um, But for whatever reason, as I was preparing over the last few weeks for this moment, the Lord just continued to bring me back to a specific verse. And so kind of our theme verse for for the the morning is going to be this. It's 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. And here's what it says. It says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, that's the main focus, right, that we are going to figure out what does it look like to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And that is a, that's a weighty statement, right? The, the purpose behind all of this is kind of what we sang in our first song, that our, our mind, our gaze is fixed on something greater than the temporal, right? Everything else that you, you do in life, whether good or bad, doesn't matter. It, 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 for the most part, focuses on the here and now and in the end probably will be forgotten hundreds of years from now. But what we do as far as disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness, yes, it has benefit for the here and now, but also it holds true for eternal life. And so that's something that each of us, whether you're a father, whether you're a mother or you're a child in this place, that's something that each of us has this call in us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness so that we might invest in something greater than what is here and now. And so that's where we're going to be. But as I was preparing, I was like, man, there's gotta, we, we've got to take this moment just as fathers to address the weightiness that there is of our calling in our homes. Um, Brandon, our men's minister, who you saw uh, baptized just earlier, he, he went to a conference and he had shared some stats with me. And it's actually from uh, the Nashville Baptist Press. And they ran an article entitled, what your church, uh, Want Your Church to Grow, Then Bring in the Men. And in the very beginning, I, I would suggest you go read it, check it out. It's pretty interesting. Uh, it talks a little bit about how we struggle to, to really relate well with men as the church. But uh, one of the things it says is this. It says, if a child is the first person to become a believer in the household, right? No one else is a Christian. The child is the first one to receive Christ. It says there's a 3.5% probability or chance that the rest of the family through that person will become a a believer as well. Um, And then it goes on to say that if you're a mother, that that if you're the first to become a believer in your household, that there's a 17% chance that the rest of your household will become believers. But it says if, if the father is the first person in the household to receive Christ. This number is pretty staggering. It says that there's a 93% probability rate that the rest of your family will follow after Jesus. 
And so one of the guys who works with uh, Lifeway Resources, his name is Sid Woodruff, he, he, he kind of commented in the article about this. And he said, I doubt this comes as a surprise to most people. We don't have to have statistics to tell us that this is true. There is something in the hard wiring of creation that naturally causes wives and children to look to the husbands and the fathers to lead out. And so what I don't want to take away from is this, right? There, there is an incredibly huge role, yes, for the child and for the mother that has a, a massive impact on the family. And God has kind of structured the family for you to have certain roles and purposes that are huge. But he has also said that the husband is to be the head, right? That Jesus is the head of the husband and the husband is the head. And so he has placed on us this responsibility to say how your family operates within spiritual things falls on you. And man, that's hard and that's weighty because the world tells us that we need to spend our time focused in on so many other things other than that. And so it's so easy for our our thoughts and our minds to wander off this idea of disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness, for the purpose of our kids disciplining themselves for the purpose of godliness, and our wives to be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. And and so here's kind of my, my hope this morning. Because uh, this is a kind of a, a line that we could walk really carefully, I think. And hopefully you don't leave going, okay, I'm a horrible dad, and so I'm going to just try harder. That is not my hope this morning. My hope is not even to guilt you into some idea that you need to go be a better believer, right? That you need to go try harder to be a better Christian. I don't think that's what the scripture is presenting to us when we look at a passage that says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. But my hope is this, I would love to encourage and build you up through the gospel message that you would leave inspired to live in such a way that the meta-narrative of your life would be to know Jesus deeply and to make him known in your homes, in your jobs, and that you would experience the abundant life that he has provided for you through the gospel. That's my hope this morning. And so if you leave with anything other than that, then that wasn't necessarily my desire, but maybe it was the Lord's. Uh, and so let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, I, I do feel like we're going to kind of hit three major areas this morning. I, I want to first address why. Why in the world would you want to commit your life to disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness? Just saying that feels like that doesn't even sound fun when I say it out loud, right? We're going to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. That doesn't just with it bring this attractive language that says yes. And so the question is why. And not just why, but how, how does the gospel, how, how does... What Jesus Christ has done on the cross motivate and move every part of who you are to want to do this. What, what is the purpose? How does him saving us also translate into the rest of your life pursuing after him? And so we'll look at the why. We'll look at what. Like what does scripture kind of say about this? What does it look like? What does Paul specifically, what does he say this looks like for him? And then we'll quickly uh, just address the how. I want to give you some practical, tangible ways in which you can leave and go, okay, like, yeah, I, I see the why, I see the what, and, and, and now I think I have some tools maybe to, to do the how. And so that's, that's where I hope we will go this morning. And so if you would, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses uh, 16. We'll, we'll read more than just 16 through 23, but this, uh, for this first section, I want to address this. As we kind of look at Paul and what he has said about discipline um, and his pursuit of the Lord. It says this in verse, uh, verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
For if I do this voluntarily, I, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have stewardship entrusted to me. Where, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And then, and then listen to this, because this is important, right? This is going to be kind of where Paul's mindset is set. For though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all men, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save some. And then verse 23, if you're someone that underlines in your Bible, I this is like came at me like a beacon as I was studying. And it's not necessarily one of the sentences in this scripture that's usually stuck out to me in the past. But it says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Now, here's the question that we have to ask, right? Paul starts and he says, man, I, I'm literally not bound to anybody. But yet I choose to make myself a slave so that I might win those, right? And, the, and then we get to this part of verse 23 where he says, the, the reason why is for the sake of the gospel, Man, there is something that happened to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus that when he encountered Jesus Christ, something changed forever in him and in a way that he said, I'm free, but I'm going to make myself a slave for the sake of what I have experienced in Christ. And it's interesting to me because you think about who who Paul was before, right? Man, in, in in his... former life as a Pharisee, like he, he, he had done all these legalistic things to hopefully earn some type of relationship with God. And what's interesting to me is a guy who did it to the book according to him, right, crossed every T, dotted every I, still had this incredible lack in his heart and his soul. Like his, his works and his motivation towards righteousness to try to figure out how to earn Jesus' favor left his heart and soul lacking, and man, then he encounters Jesus Christ. He encounters this idea that, that salvation has come to him, that it no longer is a work of, uh, based on his works or merits, but it's based on the fact that Jesus has offered this free gift of eternal life in him. And something changed forever. Man, the moment that Paul became, Saul became Paul, there was in this moment something transpired in his heart that said, you know what, like I, I have found what my heart has longed for. Like my soul has found rest. My soul has found peace. And, and, and so in that, I am, I'm saying for that sake, for the sake of that gospel truth, I, I will do whatever it takes to glorify the Lord because I've found rest in my soul. And I, I, here's what's interesting to me. I think when we say gospel, right, that's kind of like the big, I don't know, in, in this era right now, in my generation specifically, like if you don't use the word gospel at least 100 times in your sermon, then you haven't preached well. Um, but I, I think sometimes we forget what, what is the gospel, right? Like what is this? And, and some of it's basic, but, but I think sometimes we, we look at the basic and we just kind of cut it off as there. And so when I use the word gospel, I want you to have a clear understanding of what I'm speaking to. And so, one, we know that gospel means good news, right? And so what was this good news being pronounced? What was this good news that Saul encountered? It was this, that there is a holy God with an incredibly holy standard. Right, His standard is perfection. 
And so he says, man, to, for men and women to have a relationship with me, you must re- reach perfection. And he goes, my creation that I love, that I've created to, to commune with me, will never reach this standard. And so Jesus steps in, right? And he does everything that's required of God, fulfills all of the law, dies on the cross, a death that we should have died. And here's what's interesting. I was reading Psalms, and this just stuck out to me in a huge way, and it's basic. But uh, during my quiet time a couple of mornings ago, I, Psalms was speaking specifically to the fact that our death could never, us, if we would have tried to die for our own sin, would have still never appeased God. Like, it, that's basic, but that's huge, right? Like, we, we couldn't even, if we said, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice my life, appease the Lord. And so Jesus steps in and dies our death, raises from the grave, and he offers to us a free gift, a moment, a chance to have your sin forgiven, to have the guilt and the shame associated with your sin taken away, and to have new life, to receive the Holy Spirit that you might have power to live this life. And man, he says, now you, you have received the righteousness of Jesus. That, that's the summation of the gospel. And so when we say, when we hear Paul say, I do all of this for the gospel's sake, it's because in that moment, it wasn't just, yeah, I do this for the gospel's sake. Jesus died on the cross. No, I have had my soul and heart satisfied because I now have a direct access to the Father that created me to commune with him. And so Paul says, man, I I will do whatever because of that. And so as we move on, I want you to think for a moment, those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus to that moment that you experienced it for the first time, right? For the first time, your soul was quieted. There was peace in your heart, and this weight had been lifted. Now, for whatever reason, if you grew up like me, I just sat under some preaching sometimes that segmented this. Like, yes, that happened, good. Now, the rest of your life, just try really hard not to mess up and to do the checklist and to make sure God's happy with you. And, man, that is just not the gospel. Like, how does the gospel motivate us to discipline ourselves for godliness is that it happens each morning. Each morning I wake up and I go, yes, my sin is taken care of this morning. I have direct access to the Father this morning. That goes on forever. And so in us, we've got to remember that the only thing that will satisfy our souls is God. He has wired you to be that way. And so Piper would say it like this. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And this is interesting because God is all about his glory. It almost seems arrogant, right? That God would say, really, my, my main concern is that I am lifted up and I am worshiped and I am glorified among all of creation. But there's nothing higher than him to look to, right? It's not like he could point us to something else and say, I want you to worship that. He says, no, it's me. I am jealous for my glory. And so as he created you and I for this, here's what's crazy to me is that he wired us in such a way that as we pursue that, as we pursue making much of Jesus, of making much of the Lord in us, we become satisfied to the fullest, right? It's not, it's not the end goal. The end goal is not to satisfy ourselves, but it is a result of living a life that points towards Jesus, It is the result of a life that is disciplined towards godliness that your soul and heart will be satisfied. John 10.10 says that I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. It's not the end goal, but it is a result. And so Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because I want to make much of Jesus. And two, I have found that it is the only thing that satisfies my soul. And here's what's important for us as moms and dads and just believers in general. 
It is so hard to remember that on a daily basis, right? Like our hearts, like the hymn says, is prone to wonder. It's so prone to run after other things. And so for us as dads, sometimes we wake up and we go, man, I've got to get on the work grind. I've got to get on the provision grind. Um, I've got to do all these things so that my kid's future is secure and, and, and all these things. And those are good. I am not saying that those are bad. But, man, if you make that pers- the pursuit of your life, and that's going to be what hopefully satisfies your soul, it will fall far short of doing that. And so Paul says, man, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Ephesians 2.10 says this. This is a beautiful verse. It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. Another version would say that we are his masterpiece. And so this isn't just an idea that John Piper came up with. The Bible speaks clearly that God crafted us in such a way that we would experience Jesus. And then he has this line walked out for us that if we would walk in these good works, it's honestly our destiny as believers. Your time here has been paved out. The question is, are you going to renew your mind? Are you going to discipline yourself for godliness in such a way that you can fulfill your destiny? And I will tell you this, you can run as far as you want after everything else that the world offers. But if you are not walking in the good works that God has prepared before the foundations of the earth for you to walk in, you will not find satisfaction. And man, I think about a, a friend of mine um, that I discipled, and man, he's a young guy, and, um, and one of the most disciplined men of God I've ever seen. I mean, just <laughs> the most rigid structure to his life. And just full of joy, full of the gospel, full of a life that exuded Jesus. I'm sure you've been around these guys and girls where you're just like, man, they spend time with the Lord. It is obvious. And, man, the gospel message was constantly on this guy's lip. And, man, he was a soul winner. And there came this point where he was ready to get married, as most 25, 26-year-old guys that I've worked with do. And his major concern then shifted from the Lord to I need to make sure that I provide for my family. And uh, he, he came from a divorced family, and, uh, and it was a divorce that happened because of money. And so his big concern was, I need to make sure that doesn't happen. So he moved to Houston, started working like crazy in a commission job, and is being extremely successful. And so about a year has passed since he moved, and I talked to him on the phone yesterday, got married. And man, there he's... He's lifeless. By his own admission, I said, dude, you don't even sound like the same person anymore. And he was like, man, I don't know what happened. I just, I took my eyes off of the Lord and my, my pursuit became money and, and trying to satisfy. And he said, dude, I'm about to make $10,000 in a week this week. And yet, I feel so empty right now. Why? Is, is making $10,000 in a week a bad thing necessarily? No. But man, he made that his pursuit. And so now his marriage is... Five months in, and they're already t- throwing around divorce, right? Why? Because he thought maybe marriage will satisfy. Maybe me providing enough will satisfy. And, and those, those are important and necessary. They are not the main focus. And I was like, dude, you've got to point yourself back towards Christ, for he's the only thing that will satisfy. C.S. Lewis says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what it is meant 
by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And I, I think this defines us a little bit, right? We, we have no idea the depth of what God offers for us. And as we look at verse 23 in 1 Corinthians 9, look at how he ends it. He says, I, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Why? So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Man, Paul is already saved. If there's anybody that's saved, Paul is saved. He's already partaking of the gospel. He wrote the Bible. Right? And so he says, but there's something to be grasped. There's something to be obtained that is, doesn't just happen in the moment of salvation. He's saying, yes, I, I did receive grace. I did receive mercy. But, man, I'm going to make myself a slave for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the gospel, and that I might partake in it. Right? God offers to us infinite depth to knowing him, infinite satisfaction of our souls in our pursuit of him. And yet we're just too easily satisfied with other things that we never even know what that looks like or tastes like. And so Paul, man, he calls us to this idea of discipline. And so what, what does it look like? Let's just continue on in, in, in uh, chapter nine into verse 24. And Paul will give us an idea of what this looks like for him. It says, do you not know that those who run in a, in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you win. Everyone who competes in the games ex- exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way with not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others... I may not be disqualified. And so Paul likens this, this discipline to that of an athlete, you know. And I, I've been following, I don't know if you've been following the NBA finals, but um, tonight's game seven of the finals championship. And here's what I thought about in this moment, right? I think about Steph Curry, who is one of the most phenomenal shooters that I've ever seen. And I don't think that Steph, in his time... Um, shooting thousands and thousands of three-pointers. And, and you can go and you can watch his little 20-minute pregame thing. He does the exact same thing every game, every time, 20 minutes, right? And there's purpose in that. But I don't think if Stefan is, is, is preparing and shooting threes and doing his 20-minute pregame that he's going, yes, this is what I've trained for is this pregame moment so everybody can look at me and see me shoot these different shots. No, Like he has disciplined his body, he has disciplined his eating habits, he has worked and grinded hard so that in the moment of game seven tonight, when everything's on the line and he's at the three point at the three point line and he has a moment with the ball that he can go, I have trained, I have disciplined myself that I might be a champion in this moment. And I believe it's gonna happen, by the way. That's just you can take that for what it's worth. Um so, but, but it was never for discipline's sake of just to discipline himself, right? It was for that moment. And he does it for an NBA title, which is amazing. I would love to have an NBA title. That would be a cool conversation piece. But think about this, man. Unless you're just a huge fanatic, nobody knows who, who the guy or the MVP was 20 years ago in the NBA final. Like, that's a perishable wreath that will fade, And Paul says, man, I I keep my mind on the eternal things. As I'm pursuing discipline, as I I see this, it isn't for discipline's sake. The goal is not to leave this morning and go, I'm going to be disciplined for discipline's sake. It's because we see that the only thing that will satisfy us is glorifying God. And as we glorify God, we will be satisfied. We will receive abundant life and people will know the gospel message. And so we go, that's the end goal. 
And so in those moments where we hear beating our body, making it my slave, no, that doesn't sound fun. In those moments for me as a dad where I'm like, you know what, it's time for family worship. Um, this TV show is, I don't even care about, but I'm really tired and it would be a lot easier just to sit here and watch this TV show and put everybody in a bed in a moment. I go, no, there's a greater end goal. My, my, my kids need to know that God is the only thing that will satisfy their souls. And so it's hard, yeah. But here's what's cool, right? Here's, here's what I love. God has called us to this. And some of us go, man, it's, it, it is. It's just difficult. Like I've tried this and I've failed. But look what scripture says, man. 2 Peter 1.3 says that he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So let's just recap real quick, right? God says, man, the only thing that's going to satisfy your soul is to glorify me and have a relationship. And you can't do that. So I'm going to provide the way. And then he says, as you do everything for me, you, you really aren't going to be very good at this. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he's going to provide everything you need to do this. Right? This isn't a message of going, hey guys, go figure out how to do this. What this is a message of is putting your faith in who God has created you already to be. Like he's already set out the good works before you. And then he says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit to actually do the good works. If you will, if you will press hard into me, like you have this in you. And this isn't a pep talk. This isn't a, hey guys, good job, you got it. Like the scripture promises this. You've already received it. Walk in it. And so it becomes then how do we do that, right? Because, yeah, we believe this. Okay, Matt, yeah, we see that there is a good reason why to do this. We see what the Bible says about disciplining ourselves, and that we have it. Then, then how as a tangible, right, 32-year-old, how do I go home and do this? And so I want to end to this morning with just a quick, hopefully, synopsis of what, what are some biblical ways in which you can discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness? How can you be a fellow partaker of the gospel. And so first we see that, that, that Paul says this, I, I run in such a way as not without aim. This is huge for us. Because here's what my, one of my uh, evangelism professor at school used to say, and, and he probably still stole it from somewhere also, but it was a great saying. He says, if we, if we fail to plan to evangelize, then we're planning to fail, right? And I would say that that holds true to disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail in this. I think some of us wait for this big revelation from the Lord that we're saying, yes, now I feel so stirred in my affections for you. I know I'm going to do this. And in reality, when we look at Paul, he says, no, I, I, I buffeted my body. I beat my body and made it my slave. And so that's not waiting around. <laughs> there is work to be done, not to please God, but to know God deeper, to be a fellow partaker. And so for you, it's a moment of going, how can I make some new gospel habits in my life? Where is it? For you, for me, I, I try to wake up two hours early, earlier than I would normally so that I can have some time with the Lord and then I can go to the gym. And every morning my alarm goes off and I'm like, I'm just going to sleep two more hours because I don't want to do this. And then there's something in me that goes, wait, no, my, my, my goal is not for right this moment. My goal is for something much greater than getting to sleep two more hours. And some days I fail and some days I do great. But for you, it's going, where, where is that, right? And maybe it's not waking up two hours early. Maybe it's in your 30-minute lunch break. You go, this has now become a sacred moment for me that I'm going to press hard into the Lord. But, man, would you make a plan of action? And, and so here's what I want to do very quickly as we kind of close this morning. So I want to give you these biblical prescriptions of how you can meet with God. Um, and so some things that, that you can find that God has said, do this. 
Draw near to me, and I promise I will draw near to you in these things. And this is a very holistic approach to this, okay? This isn't, you always hear, read your Bible and pray, but man, there is much more that God has prescribed to be disciplined in our walk with him. And one is Bible intake. I've been a college pastor for nine years. We live, in my opinion, in one of the most biblically illiterate generations I've ever seen. Man, I see kids all the time that think they know so much about spiritual and deep things, and yet they've never cracked open the Bible. And when you hear them talk, you go, no, you're allowing your heart to lead and guide, and your heart is wicked above all all else. And so the Lord says, man, do you want to know who I am? Do you want to see the riches of this gospel message? Intake the Bible. And so maybe, yeah, that's like this, right? Sitting under teaching. It's reading. It's memorizing. It's singing the scripture. Here's what's interesting. Did you know that if you read three and a quarter chapters a day, you'll read the whole Bible in a year? That's like 15 minutes until you hit Psalm 119, and then that's like an hour. <laughs> but that's not very much reading to go, wow, why, why have I not experienced all of the Bible? Like, I, I can do that. That doesn't require getting up an hour early. That's 15 minutes. I can let, my Bible will read to me now. I will just press it on play while I'm brushing my teeth. And so Bible intake is so important. And then there's prayer, right? And, and, and here's what I want to address too. Some, for some of you, this is, some of these are going to be like, yes, I'm so good at that. And then you're going to be like, oh, no, let's not talk about that one. And that's just how it is. Some of us are, lean more towards other things. And so prayer is one that I struggle to stay focused in, right? And so I do want to tell you one, this, a very cool um, little thing that you can do. And there's nothing super spiritual about it. But it's called the Acts Prayer Method. And it just helps me focus sometimes. And so Acts is in like Acts of the Bible, A-C-T-S. And it starts with admiration, right? You're, gonna, you're just going to talk about the goodness of who God is. Spend time just saying, Lord, you, you are good. And then there's a time of confession. God, what, what in my life needs to be confessed? And then you move to thanksgiving. You just are thankful for the things that he's, he's provided. And then there's supplication. And what's so easy for us is supplication. We love to ask God what we need. And so we try to use that as a moment where first we, we, we pray on behalf of others. And then we ask for our own needs to be met. And that's kind of just based on the Lord's Prayer um, and Scripture. So there's prayer. There's evangelism. And that's when all of us go, ah, right? That's a hard one. But the Lord says, do you want to know the depth of who I am? Man, in those moments where you have to rely on the Spirit to speak truth through you so that someone else may receive eternal life, is a moment to know Him. Are you disciplined in that? And then there's worship, right? There's corporate worship like this. There's family worship. And there's private worship. What does that look like in your life to go and, and to make moments where you're worshiping as a family, you're worshiping on your own, you're committed to the church body. There's serving, which we provide a ton of ways to do that, right? So are you, are you getting plugged in in a way that you're serving? Like to pour yourself out for the gospel's sake is where we find life. Um, there's stewardship, and that's not just money, that's stewardship of your life, your time, what your family is about, how you do spend your money, how you do spend your time. Are you disciplined in that? Because the Lord says, as you press into me in that moment, you will find the depths of who I am. You will partake of the gospel in a deep way that others may not because they're not disciplined. There's fasting. Man, I struggle with this. But I, do have, I had a lady at my first church, one of the, the most amazing prayer warriors I've ever seen. She fasted for 40 days from food, right? If you're going to try to do that, you need to talk to somebody that knows what they're doing because there's a lot of other things you need to do or you will die. Um, so, but she fasted from 40 days and, and, and said, in that 40 days, I'm not going to watch any TV and I'm going to read the entire Bible in 40 days. And she did it. And I'm just going to tell you, she didn't come out of that experience going, 
wow, I, that was a huge waste of time. I wish I wouldn't have fasted and read the Bible in 40 days. That was miserable. No, she came out and she said, man, here's what I found. That if you'll wake up early in the morning, that the Lord still provides manna for sustenance. She was t- likening it to the Israelites and them finding their sustenance in the morning. I'll never forget that statement. There's silence and solitude. Be still and know that I am God. That's so hard in our time. Are you carving out moments just to be still and listen? Um, there's journaling, right? David in the Psalms. Like, are you writing down your prayers, seeing how the Lord has been faithful? And then there's making disciples. There's teaching other people how to live this out, how to pursue this. Discipleship in your home with your kids. Discipleship with those who he's placed around you. And so here's what the Bible says to conclude this morning. It says, for those who sow sparingly, they will reap sparingly. But for those who sow abundantly, will reap abundantly. God has placed before us an economy to know him deeply. To be fellow partakers of the gospel. The only thing that will satisfy our souls and bring him an immense amount of glory And so would we this morning choose to make a plan so that we would sow abundantly into the things of God, that we would sow abundantly into disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And so I do want to pray for you, right? And I want to pray that the Lord would do a few things this morning in response as we close. One, one, the question is, have you had your soul satisfied? Do you know Jesus? If you don't, this morning is a chance that the Lord has offered that gift to you. Man, to have your sin forgiven, to have this abundant life. And then hopefully this would move in us a desire to worship him, right? Something that goes, this is so huge, this is so big. To be able to know the depths and the riches of God, creator God, and that my heart would be satisfied is so huge. Thank you, Lord. And then, then we would spend some time repenting. And repenting is like, such a seems like a bad word, right? Repentance bad, no. Repentance is just going, man, here, I, I've learned something New this morning, my mind and my heart have shifted, and so now that's going to change my direction. I, I do want to be more disciplined, not for the sake of making God happy or, or trying to be disciplined for the sake of discipline. I want to know Jesus well and made, make him known well. And then that we would make a plan and follow through, and that we'd pray that God would help us to do that. And so let me pray for you guys. God, I do thank you that you have provided a way for us to know you intimately. Oh, Lord, that we would sow abundantly into the things of you, that we would live a disciplined life. God, that we would be fellow partakers of the gospel. God, would you help us to have a plan of action and to fulfill that? And so, Lord, if if there's anybody in here that does not know you, God, Lord, would they taste and see that you are good? And it's your name I pray. Amen.